Salutations. Welcome to Spiritual Blithering, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humans Cafe. Hello. 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 Hello, Danielson. Is that you? It is me, Steve. How are you? Okay. I'm well. So was it uh, was it difficult uh, connecting this time? Uh, no, I, I just I, I, I was on the other link and um, uh, anyway, I, I'm not sure why. Uh, anyway, no, it, it worked fine. I, I just went to the most recent one that you sent. I was in the other link on Podbean. Anyway, we are uh, we are here. Okay. So you know what I think happened? I think that what happened was, and we're taping right now, but this is, I'll edit this part, this stuff out. Um, I guess I had to push start. I thought I could wait for you to come in the gallery and then start uh, the uh, the live show. But right. um, I guess I have to uh, start it and then you uh, can come in. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to just start with some music and I'm just going to go into it and let's just have some fun. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to do my intro. Salutations. Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. This is a Just Some Guy production and I'm that guy, your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. Today we're going to talk about ideas and flow of the good life and resources for our spiritual toolboxes. I have Danielson with me, just two ones, blithering again. It's a beautiful no-mo-may spring day, plum for poetry, an outpouring of the soul for expression and a connection, an antidote for aloneness and the existential crisis that we call humanity. Welcome, Danielson. <laughs> Thank you very much. Excellent opening. I love it. I have, uh, I just got a little special effect I want to do to welcome you here. I'm going to do this. We have some uh, listeners, I'm sure, that are happy to have you back. Thank you. I feel I should take a bow. Okay, definitely do. So, uh, yeah, welcome. Um, we're going to be doing a bunch of different things today. We're going to be talking about poetry. We're going to be focusing on uh, our passion uh, for Emily Dickinson and uh, her musings. Uh, it's always good, however, to uh, start with a definition. And so I, I thought uh, before we get into our, our blithering and our rambling that uh, you might have an idea of a definition that we might want to throw there in terms of this thing called poetry that we're going to talk about today. Sure. I, um, if, if I were asked, as I was just asked, uh, what poetry is, uh, so after our diving into Emily Dickinson, I can't help but uh, be influenced by her work and poetry for her and perhaps in general is uh, an expression of, of one's feelings, thoughts, and more precise uh, to Emily Dickinson, a, uh, for her, it was, for from what we know about her biographically, it was very much an escape and um, solace for her. 
Uh, so uh, those are my kind of initial thoughts on what poetry is. Yeah, and and I think that you know we we can invite any of our uh, listeners to explore you know the Webster's Dictionary definition if they like, but just for the sense of uh, and the sake of being poetic ourselves, that we would just offer something from the soul, and uh, so we right. have those two ideas there. So yeah, we're going to talk about Emily Dickinson, and uh, we had we had an experience not long ago that really moved me. It really struck me, and it it, it was a, a pleasantly surprising occasion for me uh, we were sharing company you you came to visit me in uh, southern ontario came down from ottawa and i shared with you that i found um this book called the poetry of emily dickinson at talis which is a thrift store and uh, there was a bunch of different books and I, I was looking for a gem and i found it and it was a a dollar 99 i picked it up and i've been enamored with it ever since i just i just can't put it down and i was sharing with you uh this discovery and as i shared it with you and there was a pause immediately you jumped in and uh you shared um a spontaneous outpouring uh, a recitation of uh, emily dickinson poem do you remember that moment absolutely i do and uh, if I if I may uh, speak to it, um, uh, by the way, uh, it's hard to imagine that you could buy something for a dollar ninety nine, uh, apart from uh, one liter of gas. But uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I, I I remember. I so I give you a little bit of applause. Yeah, for, oh, thank you, um, thank you, and, and awesome. For for mentioning <laughs> like cleverly that and maybe we'll throw in one of. The, yeah, nice. Well, sorry. Fantastic. Cool. Um, yes. So that moment, I, I believe the poem that I recited was um, "I had no time uh, to hate," and there may have been a second one I recited as well, and that was "Hope is the thing with feathers," and. Yes. Certainly what I found and, and what I've long found appealing about Emily Dickinson's poetry is uh, the rhythmal, uh, rhythmic structure and perhaps the ease at which they are to memorize. Um, mm -hmm. They follow ballad meter, uh, structured rhyming pattern, and uh, easy to, uh, to recite. I remember uh, you sharing as well at a different point that <clears throat> um, there there is uh, <clears throat> a value in being able to remember things and recite things, and uh, you were uh, experimenting with uh, with memory challenges or different memory activities. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, I I shared with you before. Um, I was in Cuba for twenty eight days, and and part of my time in Cuba, apart from reading, was uh, memorizing passages uh, from Shakespeare, uh, mostly Shakespeare. And I very much enjoy it. And certainly when it comes to poetry, perhaps getting back to, you know, a working definition of poetry and, and uh, poetry is, is something that needs to be heard and not simply read uh, mm -hmm. because it, it's only by hearing it do you pick up the intended rhythms of the art, so to speak. 
Yeah, you sent a, that idea in, in a file, and it really did strike me because often when I'm, I'm going through the uh, the poetry of Emily Dickinson, unless I'm uh, sharing uh, something with you, or I'm sharing something with my son, or an occasion with, with someone else, usually I'm just reading it, and uh, so I like I decided that I, sh I should uh, internalize that idea, and when I'm reading um, uh, the poetry, I should kind of create a space for myself where I I, I can say it out loud because it has a a different kind of impact on the soul so right. i think that's For something sure. uh, worth uh, remembering so we're going to uh, we're going to get into it um and we've we've decided that the way we want to proceed is you picked three uh, poems from emily dickinson and i picked three poems we're going to share some thoughts uh but but before we start i just wanted to uh, share my thought that uh i i think rediscovering uh poetry and and discovering really for the first time uh, emily dickinson um has has been really incredibly satisfying uh, and beneficial for my soul and my spirit and then there's a part of me who's wondering like what is it about the world today um and perhaps it's just the circles that i'm uh, living in uh, that there seems to be a void in terms of uh, and embracing uh, poetry and bringing it into one's life and it's kind of like what you know what's the barrier um what what stops people from bringing it into their lives and maybe throughout this discussion we might we might explore what that answer could be um, my goal however is whatever it might be that uh, doesn't seem to um call out to a person's soul to uh, bring poetry to life i do believe that there there would be a benefit for all for us to have more poetry in our lives and as we uh explore these poems uh, from emily dickinson um, there's a couple of things I just wanted to put on the table, and please feel free to add anything. Um, I guess we're going to put it in the larger category of vantage points. Um, so when we're reading these poems, of course, the first vantage point is uh, from the, the poet in the moment that uh, the outpouring, um, you know, manifested itself. And so there's the, the poet writing something with some specific intentions. It means something uh, to the poet. And then there comes this time, uh, this other vantage point is uh, uh, as, a, as a reader, we, we read the poem and then we try to imagine, you know, what the author, what the poet is trying to point to. Uh, but while that's happening, strangely, and I think this could be the thing that makes um, a, a revival uh, in terms of bringing poetry into one's life, um, we find that uh, at times, regardless of the poet's intentions and regardless of our interpretation of the poet's intentions, uh, poems just seem to be relatable, that there's something about them when we read them, even if it's not what the uh, poet intended, it strikes a chord and it resonates with us. And uh, so that's the thing that I'm finding really interesting about Emily's poems, that uh, I, I think I'm... I'm uh, throwing something onto it, I'm projecting something onto it, which might have nothing to do with her, uh, her original intentions. Um, so yeah, so those are the kind of three vantage points I thought that we should we should uh, kind of keep in mind. Is there anything you want to add to that? Um, no, that that really uh, covers quite a bit, and uh, certainly uh, speaks to what we've been talking about in the files we've been exchanging in our uh, discussions on Emily Dickens. Dickinson's poetry, and uh, I, I guess, I, I, I guess maybe the one other thing to add is, um, well, no, I think you you actually covered it, right? I, I mean, the the idea of 
the intention and the reader's response. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent uh, starting point for sure. Okay, so we, context. we so we've we both picked uh, three poems um, uh, as the uh, co-host. I think uh, it makes sense that uh, I would invite you to go first. Um, so if you wanted to share with us uh, what, what three poems you picked and, and uh, which one you'd like to start with. Uh, so the three poems uh, that I picked, uh, I'll start first with the, um, uh, when we began our discussion of Emily Dickinson, and I, I did some uh, biographical background. Uh, so she was born in 1830, so lived, living through the Civil War. So my I was intrigued uh, to to wonder whether she had written any poems about the Civil War. And, and so one of them is, uh, the first line is, my portion is defeat today. And it is certainly about the Civil War. The second one is, uh, first line is, I felt a cleaving in my mind. And then the third one, this is my letter to the world. So I, I'm not sure how you want to proceed here. Do you want me to give a uh, bit of a background on each or? Um, well, yeah, you know what, uh, I think you brought, so uh, speaking to the first idea that uh, the poet has a uh, kind of intentions, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the poets have any experience. Um, so I guess this speaks to the, uh, the idea that um, as a, as a reader, should we become familiar with the, uh, the poet, the author, uh, you mentioned that there's some uh, autobiographical stuff um, that perhaps will help us understand the, the poetry in terms of uh, the, uh, mm -hmm. the poet's uh, intentions. Um, so yeah, what, what are some things you think we should know about uh, Emily? I, I guess, uh, so with these three specific poems, knowing more about her personal history and her circumstances and the particular time and place where she lived uh, informs a, a deeper understanding of all three. And, and so, you know, the first one, my portion is defeat today. You know, understanding that that's talking about um, the Civil War and she refers, uh, she's uh, embodying defeat and, and trying and making a conceit of it. And that this extended metaphor of she's not Emily Dickinson in the poem, she is defeat and, and she's mm -hmm. ruminating on uh, the the potential of you know whether the the union side loses or the confederate side loses i mean in a sense they're both losers and and there are very stark images including a description of piles of solid moan or chips of blank in boyish eyes and what struck me most was the second line a paler luck so my portion is defeat today, a paler luck than victory. And, and so the, the use of the word luck is, is interesting to me uh, in that, uh, you know, there's an element of, of chance in war. And, and, it, it, and it just, it, it takes apart the, the notion of war. And I found that quite intriguing. And then, so the second poem, I, I felt a cleaving in my mind, knowing uh, about her uh, biographical past and understanding that 
there was something that happened in her life that compelled her to pretty much stay in a single room and uh, not venture out socially much. Uh, so she was struck by some kind of fear and, and, and a cleave, I felt a cleaving in my mind as if my brain had split. I tried to match it scene by scene, but could not make it, them fit. Uh, so she's using that standard ballad meter that she uses in a lot of her, her poems. And then the second very short lyric poem, second stanza, the thought behind I strove to join unto the thought before, but sequence raveled out of reach like balls upon a floor. So, so they have a very lyrical quality uh, within that, that ballad meter and it, it forces the structure upon itself. And then the idea of, you know, trying ardently to uncleave her mind, but being unsuccessful and, and you know, understanding her circumstances historically would tend to add more meaning to it. And with the third poem, it kind of speaks in the same way. Uh, this is my letter to the world. So I, she proceeds in, in that same ballad meter. Uh, this is my letter to the world that never wrote to me. And it's uh, stressed, unstressed, stressed, unstressed. Uh, the simple news that nature told with tender majesty. And then in the second stanza and final stanza, her message is committed to hands I cannot see. So referring to nature, nature's message for love of her sweet countrymen judge tenderly of me. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways uh, to look at this and, and what you mentioned about, you know, what, what is the reader's intention? Uh, what is, what is my response? And, it, and for my response, it's hard to separate what I'm responding to personally without separating that from the bi biographical information and, and that uh, she lived a very isolated life and she's uh, naturally trying to reach out in this particular poem. So, so that kind of gives a, a bit of a background on uh, my, my, my response. And whether it, in fact, matches her intention is maybe something we'll never know. And, and that perhaps is, is the beauty of, of poetry. And, and to me, it speaks to uh, another poem that she wrote uh, that starts with the line, I dwell in possibility. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, what poetry is. It, it's, it's the ability to dwell in possibility. So, so, I mean, your, your sharing reveals the thought that the, to really get the, the fullness uh, out of what uh, the writings uh, meant to her and where they came from in terms of her lived experience requires a leader, uh, a reader to become uh, aware of the person's uh, historical experience. And, and I think, um, and I, I'm in full agreement with this, and the more I read about Emily, the more I want to know about her. But in terms of like one's first encounter with the poem, I think like that's the thing that might discourage someone from picking up um, a, a you know a book of Emily Dickinson's poems and thinking, okay, so well before I can make and uh, make sense of any of this stuff, so somehow I have to be I have to become familiar with her. 
Well, mm-hmm. well, that sounds like a lot of work. And so I think like that's the appeal of, you know, we, we can know that the poet has intentions and we can know that we can try to interpret it, um, knowledge of the fact of what it was about for the writer. But for many of us, if our departure point is nothing more than that we might be able to read something and that the, through the reading of it, there, there's this kind of connection, a relatability that creates a resonance, I think that that could be the in. That could be the the uh, first step to getting connected to um, these wonderful creations uh, in poetry, especially as we're talking about Emily Dickinson right here, right now. Uh, you mentioned about the importance of um, you know reading the poem and then reciting it out loud. So perhaps uh, uh, you shared kind of some uh, historical kind of background stuff to try to understand the uh, the linking of those three poems. So how about we start with uh, the um, my letter to the world, and if you could just like recite it in its entirety, so we can feel that um, that, sure. that that meter, that ballad that you uh, are so um, fond of. This is my letter to the world that never wrote to me, the simple news that nature told with tender majesty. Her message, her message is committed to hands I cannot see. For love of her, sweet countrymen, judge tenderly of me. Yeah, it's um, going from that perspective of saying, if, if I'm not uh, familiar with uh, this, this this spirit, this person, um, can, can I still get something from this? Can I still pull something from it? Which then might lead me to wanting to know more about her and then being able to kind of uh, understand what this would mean um, to her as she was experiencing it. Um, what strikes me about this is I noticed that there are some words that have capitals um, when you're reciting it. Uh, the, the listener can't see that, but if you're reading the poem, there are a number of uh, words in here that have capitals. Uh, the meter is just uh, wonderful. It's soothing. Um, but this one leads me with uh, some questions um, when you shared with me that you're going to read this one. And uh, the, that line, uh, the, um, this is my letter to the world, uh, the simple news that nature told. I guess I'm wondering, like, well, what's the news? Um, like, like, what is this message? Uh, the poem itself um, doesn't really allude to uh, what the message is, other than that uh, there, there's this experience that she's having. And so my thought was, and I'm not sure what you think, is that uh, the suggestion was that the news or the message that uh, one might uh, encounter in terms of uh, Mother Nature and, and this experience with uh, Mother Nature would be, uh, it's experiential. Like you can only get the message once you immerse yourself within the experience of uh, going out into uh, the woods and walking um, in the trees and listening to the birds. Um, did When you read the the, the poem, did you have any of those kind of questions or did you find yourself going in a different direction? I, I guess I went in a different direction and, and it's that direction is informed by less of my response and more of what I understand about Emily Dickinson's experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I'm taking the biographical information and I'm kind of reading it into the poem. And, and I, I guess getting back to what you talk about, it, it's, it's, it's 
kind of fascinating to think of it that way, you know, intention versus reader response kind of thing. And, and to me, it speaks to uh, she kind of left the church. I mean, very uh, Puritan Amherst, Massachusetts kind of thing. And for her to leave the church, she has to she find needs to find spirit somewhere else and and that's that's how i read it so she's finding spirit in that capital capital n nature and then she's she's asking for forgiveness at the end ju judged tenderly of me which to me is a suggestion that you know um this is nature is my deity and, and don't don't be too judgmental of me for that and, and just one last little piece of that is it, and it also kind of speaks to the kind of transcendentalist of, of the time of you know emerson and thoreau and and that um that relationship that they had with nature as well i think uh you know it's it's nice to be able to to see those two different those vantage points and and uh that uh, there's something exciting about being able to, um, uh, you know, it's like watching a movie and, and seeing another person's experience and 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 how it's unfolding and uh, that that uh, inner um, split that she must have been experiencing, but yet to also have a sense that uh, if if you're if you're not knowing if that's something you're you're not aware of that the the, the poem could still speak to you and. Um, that there, there is this, uh, it, it points to this idea like a universal that, you know, we live in a world where there's judgment. Um, and so that last word, uh, that last line of judge tenderly of me, I think that's something that once again, we can all relate to um, in terms of this, this world that could be um, uh, quite harsh, the pointing finger of condemnation and the waving hand of judgment. Um, and, you know, how do we navigate that? And it, it seems like um, she, she was definitely concerned uh, about um, how she would be received be, because of this uh, this decision to, to kind of leave the church as you as you described. Yeah, and and I guess it also speaks to her resistance to seek publication for her poems as well, which we've discussed as well. Okay, and is an so important biographical information right right um so the uh the other poem um that you uh you shared is the uh my portion is defeat today which is a little bit different um than the other two so maybe uh we might be able to hear a recitation recitation of that one and uh explore that yeah, just kind of before I get into it, I'll just mention to the reader, uh, kind of just similar to what you said. I mean, there are uh, kind of um, she has a lot of dashes uh, in it. She uses a lot of dashes, and and so if you were to pick up her poetry, it, it may be kind of uh, confusing for uh listeners when, when they see this perhaps and um when she was originally when her work was originally published they were all taken out actually and then they realized well that's not really cool so let's put them back in mm -hmm. so i'll uh i'll do the reading here 
my portion is defeat today, a paler luck than victory, less pians, fewer bells. The drums don't follow me with tunes. Defeat in somewhat slower means, more arduous than balls. Tis populous with bone and stain, and men too straight to stoop again, and piles of solid moan, and chips of blank and boyish eyes, and scraps of prayer and death's surprise, stamped visible in stone. There's something prouder over there, the trumpets tell it to the air, how different victory to him who has it, and the one who to have had it would have been contender to die. Yeah, I find uh, I, I'm 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 sensing we're gonna once again you're gonna be able to kind of give that uh, that kind of historical um, biographical sense of what this this poem might have meant to to Emily. I, I find myself once again uh, going to the uh, the vantage point of uh, reader uh, relatability. And um, there, there are a couple kind of like, I guess you could say, like uh, bold points that stand out for me. Um, uh, the first one would be that my portion is defeat uh, today. Um, I, I was wondering, you know, why, why is it not my, my portion is defeat every day? My portion is defeat eternally. Um, but there was this, this idea of today. And so when I was uh, listening to this poem, when I was reading this poem, when I was thinking about this poem, um, it, it made me think about uh, whatever it is we're talking about, this, this, this horror, in, in a sense. Um, it's not over. It, it's like, you know, uh, th this, th there's going to be uh, and then um, or next. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's about costs the cost of something um, in terms of the things that we value, how far will we go? And it seems to capture for me um, this idea of a cycle of violence uh, that, uh, you know, um, there, there, there will be a tomorrow uh, and, and that now that this day is done, what will tomorrow look like? And, and I just think it's a great reminder for us today in terms of uh, what the outcome of war really is. Um, you know, this, this idea of a paler luck that, you know, there, there are no winners even when it seemed like there's a winner or even when the winner, uh, you know, quote unquote winner declares uh, uh, that uh, they're a winner. Um, I think it's a reminder for today that uh, there is no winning. And I'm just, right. you know, the, all those... Uh, those images of, uh, you know, the, the piles of solid moan. Um, it just thinks, it makes me think about what's happening in the world today in the news. And I, I won't say much more than that. I think the reference point is clear. And what, what I'm uh, thinking about is uh, immediately, it's, it's, if this was a, um, you know, an, an association, a word association, you know, my portion is defeat today, PTSD, um, and, and you know, that's where my brain goes, that uh, mm -hmm. in, in the world today, that there's a lot of suffering. And regardless of our talk about winners and losers, um, on both sides, uh, uh, PTSD doesn't discriminate. 
And and I and I know that that's not what Emily was pointing to because um, this is what's happening and unfolding now. Right. Yeah, and and even in that second stanza, so she start. There are uh, was that seven lines, and six of the lines start with and, and 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 so it's you, she gets into that rhythm of describing you know, the horrors of war. And, and it's almost as if she could continue on for multiple other stanzas, uh, but, you know, kind of ends it at uh, stamped visible in, in stone kind of thing. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very compelling for sure. And your, your read of it was about how this would be um, situated in the fact that at that time the civil war was um, happening. Yeah, and and more if if I may kind of add another kind of biographical tidbit. So the um, what was his name? The the president. There were they had a president of the town, and his name was Fraser Stearns, and, and he lost. His son was a uh, uh, an officer in the Union Army, and I'm not exactly sure if this is a direct response to his death, but it, but it would have been something definitely on her mind, and and it, and it also kind of speaks to her. Uh, she had a habit of, of writing uh, occasional poems, so so when someone died, she would write a poem, and and they're very timely and and. You know, going back to your mentioning of, you know, my portion is defeat today, right? And and so, to me, that that means perhaps that, you know, someone that she knew very well died that day in the mm -hmm. Civil War. Potentially, I guess. Mm -hmm. And and that that wouldn't be strange to think. Right. And, and, and so both interpretations, like you say, right? I mean, you you have, you know, her potential intention and, and then our, our response, you know, you can't help but think of our, our today, not just her today, in parentheses. And then, I mean, I guess the, the additional layer of uh, vantage points would be, you know, like there's the, the poet's intentions, there's the reader's interpretation of uh, the poet's experience, then there's this idea of the reader or the person who's reciting the poem's um, relatability, and then now there's you and I sharing and other people uh, listening and then getting a sense of, in a mirror-like fashion, uh, which one resonates with them more, so that this, uh, like a, another level of comparison about, you know, the, the more people that entered this discussion, uh, the more ideas we might have about what, what this poem means. Um, but then we also walk away with it somehow striking a chord within us. Uh, and we see that, you know, in terms of being equipped to explore these poems and tackle these poems, um, there are some things that are required. It requires some attention, uh, picking up the poem, reading the poem, perhaps more than once, um, effort kind of sitting with it in an undistracted way, uh, reflecting on it and uh, there's these different tools that we might need um, the an understanding of metaphor alliteration um, the rhythm uh, there's some other tools that you've mentioned as well 
uh, you mentioned just recently about the uh, the um, the dash. I think you referred to uh, the dash as the uh, M, M dash. Yeah. Yeah. So the the M dash is longer, as in the M, as in the letter M on a typewriter, the capital M. So that's the distance of, of that dash. So it's the longest dash that C, that she tends. Uh, so if the, if the listener were to pick up a um, an anthology of Emily Dickinson, uh, you would you would see a lot of M dashes. Actually, they vary in. I'm, I'm looking at my the three poems on a sheet here, and there are some that are that are N dashes as opposed to so. And from what I understand, is she, she had all kinds of different lengths depending on. Uh, her mood in writing the original manuscripts, I guess, but like I, you know, strictly speaking, right? The the M dash is 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 a break in 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 the meter, so it's, it, so you could interpret it as, you know, like that first line. My portion is defeat. You have an M dash, and then you have today, and then you have another M dash. So kind of isolating that word today for mm -hmm. for emphasis okay um there was a couple other tools that you mentioned we might need that they they might uh, present themselves as we uh, as we continue i have to be honest my favorite um of the three poems that you selected is this last one uh, i felt a cleaving in my mind and once again i i, I think we're going to stay true to our positions um you you're going to uh, put yourself in the place of um, as the reader trying to in, interpret uh, what the poet's intentions and, and I and once again I, I moved in the direction of um, how can I relate to the poem what, how does it uh, strike a chord and resonate with me so um, yeah uh, it's a great poem and, and maybe you can uh, at this point now recite it for us absolutely I felt a cleaving in my mind as if my brain brain had split I tried to match it scene by scene, but could not make them fit. The thought behind I strove to join unto the thought before, but sequence raveled out of reach like balls upon a floor. Uh, just to quickly note, um, my uh, copy has in the last two lines, but sequence raveled out of sound. Oh, really? Like Balls okay. upon a floor. Um, I have the M dashes in there, uh, and uh, but there's there's one line that's that's uh, slightly different, and and I think that that uh, influenced um, my thought about perhaps what what it did mean um, uh, in terms of uh, the poet's intentions. Um, when I when I read this poem, and I I know I have a strong sense that Emily was not writing it in in the way that I was um, relating to it. Uh, it reminded me of uh, a couple of years ago when I got my concussion, mm -hmm. and uh, it was as if um, when I hit my head, uh, all the filing cabinets in my head opened up at once, and all the uh, files were flying out. Uh, which is uh, comparable to the the balls upon the floor, and uh, this is desperate, um, you know, trying to get back to myself, trying to be me again, 
you know, there was a, a cleaving in my mind, like, a, you know, a, it was torn asunder. And it was like there, there was this, this split, this, this me that was happening versus the, the me I was so desperately clinging to, this past uh, sense of me. And everything about that first stanza, I felt the cleaving in my mind as if my brain had split. And I, as the person experiencing a concussion, I, I tried to desperately match it scene by scene, but could not make it fit. And uh, it, it, it just captures that confusion. Um, you know, attempting to understand what it meant to, to Emily, though, I, I thought that uh, what this could be about um, is about the creative process. And I had a sense that, you know, I wonder what it's like to uh, write poetry. And uh, I had a sense that this this could be taken as perhaps um, her experience as a, a writer's block or, or a poet's block, um, right. where she was trying to, because mine is but sequence rabbled out of sound. Like, you know, how do you make this rhyme? How do you get back to that ballad meter, as you talked about? And, and, and struggling to to do that, um, uh, but, you know, um, not being able to do it easily uh, because a lot of this would take great effort and great work. Um, so I throw that on the table. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. So you, you so the creative process and, and you mentioning the ballad meter and, and, and so it, it is confining i mean it, it's it makes it easier for the it makes it more accessible for the reader perhaps or lyrical uh but yet in that creative process uh it can be confining i i, I doubt if emily dickinson had a rhyming thesaurus on her bookshelf <laughs> so so or a uh uh, uh right click on her word processing document. So uh, it, it required a, a bit more thinking that, yeah, that, that fits, that uh, the giraffe is there. Uh, if, I, if I refer to, uh, you know, what, mm -hmm. what you had mentioned in, in a previous file, that I, I don't know if this is the time to uh, bring up the, the, the giraffe caution, but if, if you want to explore that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll, we'll mention it and 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 uh, and we'll come back to it again. Right. Um, so yeah, the the idea of the the giraffe uh, reference uh, that uh, Daniel Sen is talking about is that um, what I think reservations that people hold in terms of poetry is uh, the, this automatic negative thought that many people hold that like I, I don't get it, like I, I don't know what it's about. Uh, this is a strange thing to me and and you can read something and and at the end of it uh you you might suggest well uh is it about a giraffe and, and the person mm -hmm. would be like well no it's not about a giraffe and and you're like exactly i mean you do know mm -hmm. something about poetry you know that whatever it is you read um there are no lines that are linking it uh, to this idea about a giraffe so even though that there's a relatability um, and and that we do interpret, we we there are limits to the interpretation. It has to be within you know the confines of something. It has to be you know grounded in the words on on the page. 
And uh, so I'm going to make that reference again. Uh, you know, this is not a giraffe that we're talking about, um, even though at some point some people might want to say, well, we're talking about a giraffe. And it, it's like, well, um, you know, where where is the giraffe? And um, the idea, though, is that, you know, even though that the, the giraffe might not be um, the, the, the point or the intention of the, the poet, uh, this idea about relatability, um, it, it, it can still fit. Um, and if we can ground it in the text, it's not completely uh, mm -hmm. making that giraffe statement. Did that seem to uh, capture what you were thinking in, in this instance? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think for, for the listener, I, I kind of am anticipating where you're going and, and how you may speak to it more in, in one of uh, the three poems that you chose. I'm guessing. I could be wrong. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so any, and is there any, um, anything you like, I, I basically kind of, uh, you, you shared uh, the recitation um, and, and I kind of uh, threw my uh, relatability uh, perspective um, vantage point onto it. Um, what, what did it, it seemed to um, allude to or point to for you, the cleaving um, in my mind. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have much as much on that one. It, it, it's funny because when you had mentioned your experience with it, you know, I I, I, I think of your experience with it when I reread it, kind of thing, and it and it's that to me is the profound aspect of it, I guess. Uh, but. I guess more more generally, and, and you know the the other one. Uh, so this is my letter to the world. You know, we, we've all experienced aloneness. Uh, we've all experienced, uh, you know, an unsettling in our mind. Uh, so they're very. Both of those two are are very accessible. I, I would think, e even without biographical information. I mean, the, the, the war one perhaps requires a bit more unpacking, but, you know, and, and I, I think that's the intent of poetry to, to, to share a very personal experience, which is what she, what she does. And it allows the reader to, uh, you know, feel his or her or their own, you know, very personal experience in response potentially right and and i think that that's what will make poetry more relevant um the mm -hmm. fact that you know if if the, the the people are thinking okay i'm supposed to read this poem and figure out what the uh, the uh, poet uh, the author intended and and that's the the total project i think it's just a part of the project and and as you just alluded to that you know we want to walk away somehow being struck we want somehow that it resonates and that we can carry and then we're uh, through that that expression that there's a connection and it's that antidote to um aloneness that that we are we are connected right so um i i you you've uh, i think a more comprehensive understanding about uh, Emily Dickinson's uh, life, uh, more knowledgeable about uh, her, her biography, her historical 
uh, reality. Um, you know, what do, what do I know? So some of the things that could give me somewhat of a sense of, you know, what the poems might mean to her would be that uh, I know that uh, she was born in 1830. Uh, she died in 1886, simply by a Googling uh, Wikipedia. Um, she was 56 years old when she passed away. I know that she was uh, an American poet. Uh, we, she has been re referred to as a recluse. Um, you, you shared uh, another way of identifying that as uh, being a shut-in. She, she spent her later years in her room, uh, interacting with people through her door. Uh, she was uncoupled, so she wasn't in a relationship. She didn't have kids. Um, I find her fascinating because this is an example of someone living off script. I believe, um, you know, uh, a lot of the choices we make are not fully, uh, you know, completely self-willed. Uh, but I, I, it seems that there's an element of choice uh, in terms of the life that she lived in. And I just think that that's brave and that's fascinating. Um, I, my understanding is that she has about 1800 poems uh, that were discovered uh, after she passed away. They, uh, only 10 of them were published during her lifetime. So it makes me wonder if you had you know, eight, about 1,800 poems and only 10 were published, what happens there? I also found it interesting that her poems weren't titled. She, the, 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 the titles are usually the first line of her poem. Um, and uh, that uh, the ones I'm definitely attracted to had that meter bow that you talked about, uh, that her, her family was, you know, um, in a good enough place that uh, she could, uh, live have an existence where she had uh, a place to be a room to stay in and uh, not a whole bunch of financial worries um and and then the other thing that struck me i just kind of like uh, noteworthy was uh, that she did not go to her father's funeral uh apparently um there's suggestions about forbidden love in terms of uh, uh who uh, her heart might have belonged to and um I invite the, the listener to kind of do some exploration because it's uh, quite fascinating. But uh, I, uh, I picked three poems. I've picked uh, I'm Nobody, Who Are You? Uh, I picked another poem called Longing is Like the Seed. And then my last one is uh, There is a Solitude of Space. So I'm just going to jump into uh, the first one. And I believe it's one of her earlier poems. It's called I'm Nobody, Who Are You? I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell, they'll advertise, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public, like a frog, to tell one's name the live long June to an admiring bog. And, and when I read this, uh, I guess, you know, I, I had a little bit of those two vantage points playing themselves out um, at the same time. I had a sense of uh, this might answer uh, why um, she only published 10 uh, poems out of 1800. Um, and, and it also uh, was relatable in, in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, we are just two ones, Daniel son, and I'm just some guy. Uh, there's no monopoly on the truth here, and that's okay. I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I find myself in this moment saying, uh, well, you know, what is this poem about? 
It's about a giraffe. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and then someone's saying, what? And, and this is, you know, for the, for those souls who think they don't know anything about poetry, um, it's not about a giraffe, right? There's, there's nothing that we can link this to. Uh, it's not grounded in any uh, of the ideas shared. It's not about a draft. So we all do know something about poetry. It's not about a draft. It's about something else. Um, and, and the thing I think it's ultimately about from a, uh, uh the poet's, uh, intention, uh, the point of the poem for Emily would be uh, that she has a certain attitude about fame. And that's my interpretation. And, uh, you know, personally, I agree with it. Uh, so that's the relatable point. Um, and uh, she's, I have a sense that she's okay being a nobody. It's not a concern for her. Uh, there's no pressure for her. And uh, in the process, uh, being a nobody doesn't mean you necessarily have to be alone because she has the sense that there's another nobody out there too. And uh, they might find one another and don't tell. I, I kind of whispered at that point because I, I think um, she doesn't want to spoil the reality and, and possibly do something that would result in being a somebody. And uh, the imagery uh, of uh, walking through a marsh with all the frogs kind of croaking and ribbiting um, and, and, and this idea of saying i exist i exist look at me and she's like no i'm i'm quite okay being a nobody um when we talked about this that nobody reference i think uh provoked a number of different uh thoughts and and, and feelings in terms of your own experiences uh with literature you're talking about uh, homer i think and you're also you mentioned uh, about um a, a trip that you took somewhere right yeah, so for me, and, and I don't, so I mean, I, anyway, I really like the, the notion of, of giraffe, giraffe and, and, you know, the, the giraffe caution and, and yeah, this is a giraffe, but how does it fit kind of thing. And, and, and so, um, you know, what I'm about to share kind of speaks to, you know, the, the natural responses that, that we have uh, to poetry. And, and so she uses the word she's proclaiming she's nobody and she's looking for another nobody and, and it, there's a um, a part in um, the Odyssey where Odysseus is he's on his way back to Ithaca and so they land on uh, the island of the Cyclops and, and one of the Cyclops is named Polythemus and, and so he just ate two of Odysseus's men, and so he's worried about um, being eaten as well. So he, he gets the Cyclops drunk, stabs him in the eye, and when he's blinded, he cries out, "Who did this to me?" And Odysseus says, "Nobody." And and so I and, and I, I just can't help but think that she would have read the Odyssey. I, I can't imagine that she didn't. And so it, in the, the moral of that particular story is that by, by Odysseus saying that he's nobody, then the revenge can't be exacted on him. 
And so it's a bit of a stretch here trying to, to fit this giraffe in, into, <laughs> into this poem. And, uh, but you know, it, it's just, you, you have uh, a million different people reading a poem and you have a, a million different potential readings. And, and uh, so it is, you know, Emily Dickinson is someone that doesn't want to have any revenge exacted on her. She doesn't want to be a public figure. And uh, so the, the, the frog piece that I had shared with you, I had, as I, I was teaching in, in China and I, I kept hearing this hum and, and I thought for sure it was a, a, a transformer station across from the hotel that I was staying at and that, you know, I'm, every day I'm like, what is that noise? And then it was finally explained to me that it was it was in a bog and it was just a thousand frogs croaking at the same time, creating this unified hum kind of thing. And, and so she, she doesn't want to be part of that that unified hum, right? Uh, she's she's alone in her room and she wears white all the time. And, and, and maybe by being a shut-in and being... Uh, removed from the world and being a nobody, she was able to create the courage within herself to write the 1800 poems that were, you know, published posthumously. So, yeah, that is my giraffe. <laughs> I, I, I love your giraffe. You know, it, it, it's not a giraffe, but it's a giraffe and, uh, that last piece that you shared, you know, speaks to this uh, universal experience where it seems like life is full of judgment. And so what do we need to do to protect ourselves so that we can live and be our authentic selves? And, you know, uh, I mean, I guess one of the questions would be when we write poetry, uh, does it necessarily have to be something that we're writing for other people? I had a discussion a long time ago with a, a spiritual brother who has passed away may he rest in peace a beautiful soul and i told him that i wanted to write a book and he's like well who's your audience i'm like well i i, I haven't thought about it i guess it's just a book for me and his position was no like it has to be a book for someone you 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 can't write for yourself and uh, i guess it's depending on you know what you refer to uh, the the pages on which you're writing is it a book or is it a journal and in the sense that uh, you know journals are for us and uh, so, you know, I, I guess the question was, you know, is this poetry and it definitely is, or is it also um, a, a way that uh, Emily was expressing herself and, and these were entries, poetic entries into a very personal um, diary. Uh, so I, 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 it's uh, the, the giraffe that you've shared uh, is a beautiful giraffe that seems to fit. Mm -hmm. so yeah, gonna if move... I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, awesome. I want to hear what you're going to say there. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that, uh, uh, I, I forget, it's gone. It is gone. It'll be yeah. back. It'll it will be back. be back. Our giraffe will visit us again. Oh, I know, it, it did come back. And so just the, the kind of, you know, just to throw in some history and from what I've read, I mean, she did share her poetry uh, with her uh, sister-in-law and uh, with uh, 
there are a couple of married men, I, I, I can't do justice to the names, but, and, and one of them was a publisher of a, a particular journal. So it, it's like she, she had an audience, but it, it, it stopped at, you know, you guys can read this and give me feedback, but I don't want to go any further than that. And I, I guess I, I just kind of wanted to add that little uh, tidbit for the, uh, the listener. And well, I mean, I guess uh, I kind of feel like that's poetic because uh, it's kind of a comparison of the hopeful humanist uh, cafe audience versus uh, the Joe Rogan audience. And, you know, um, the audience size that I have, I'm more than comfortable with and uh, I and I enjoy it. And so in that sense, uh, Emily, uh, if you're listening, I'm a nobody, too. And uh, I'll join right. you and not tell anyone. Um, right. Thank you. Uh, so uh, the next one uh, that I picked is uh, Longing is Like the Seed. So I'll, I'll do my best to see if I can capture this. Longing is like the seed that wrestles in the ground, believing if it intercede, it shall at length be found. The hour and the climb, each circumstance unknown, what constancy must be achieved before it see the sun. I uh, I talked about this one in addition to talking to you about it uh, already in, in our files. Um, I talked about this one with Captain Jack. And uh, I, I found myself right away moving away from any thought about what this meant to Emily. And uh, what it kind of meant for me in a Camus absurdist sense and a... Uh, Buddhist sense, this idea of longing as being a human, a human universal. And so I, I kind of looked at it as, as if it was some form of truism uh, that, uh, you know, we, you know, from a Camus sense, we long or we yearn, uh, to use a Camus word, for the world to give us meaning, uh, but it's indifferent. And uh, that's the suffering that we face. We constantly want the world to give us meaning and and then uh, from a buddhist take the idea that uh, uh, craving is the cause of suffering um to uh, to constantly uh, crave something um is to, as if to be on the hedonic treadmill and so that there there is a a cautionary note about longing um emily uh, obviously would not uh, i think obviously would not have been looking at it in either of these ways um, and uh, Captain Jack, his interest was like the seed, like what kind of seed? And, and, and he said, you know, in a pushback to any Camus kind of absurdist position, would say that, you know, a seed has uh, whatever it is in and of itself, in itself. Um, you know, it, 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 you plant the seed so that the seed can become what it already is. There is no searching um, or needing uh the universe to give you something that it can't because it's already contained within um but if i let go of that uh kind of vantage point that uh, idea of looking at longing and just seeing it uh, as uh, this idea of uh, perseverance uh it makes sense to me in, in yet another light about this idea of just never giving up and if you never give up um that there could be a, an hour um and an unknown circumstance in, in which uh, it's almost like a birth is taking place 
um, a, a process of birth. And once again, I guess we can link this to uh, the creative process. Um, but it's, you know, the seed is capitalized. So it's, you know, the seed of me versus uh, the seed of you uh, as you are planted uh, within your ground, capitalized, and I am planted within my ground, um, capitalized once again. Uh, so those were some of my um, meanderings. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And uh, so again, it, it speaks to, you know, our, our, our response is, is informed by our, our very personal experiences. And, and uh, I, my, my work, the direction I went in was uh, more grounded in uh, her and, and trying to interpret her intention as, as opposed to focusing on, on my uh, reaction or specific response. And, and so the way that I'm reading it, based on what I know and the speculation of her life and the letter, the love letters that she wrote to her sister-in-law, Sarah Gilbert, would, would suggest that, that the longing is, she, she's, she's referring to that. And uh, uh, she's, um, that's, that's how I'm reading it. And, and, and that longing is, is her love, her forbidden love for her sister-in-law. And, and and it requires uh, believing if it intercede. So if it intercedes, if it if it comes to fruition, uh, it shall at length be found. And, and again, you know, get going back to the nobody, right? Like I I, I don't want to be found. I, I don't want fame. And, and, but but playing with with the notion of it coming to the sun, and and you know if the climate or if the climb or the climate of the time was different or if the circum capital c circumstance was different or uh, the particular constancy capital c was, was different then that love would not be forbidden and and and, 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 and just to add uh, and and that speaks to the ground, the capital G ground. That you know, in terms of those times, that was her seed was planted in that ground, which made something not possible. But had her seed been planted in this kind of historical time, the ground of our today, um, yeah. her love uh, could have been very different. Uh, I mean, they could have they could have been married and had a family and known joy and uh, acceptance and. Um, life could have been very different right yeah, just to add one little tidbit for the listener perhaps is that there, there were after her death there were a lot of love letters to sarah gilbert but there were none from sarah gilbert so it, it, it kind of stays in that realm of speculation but whether it was was it just a love that emily dickinson felt for her sister-in-law or was it reciprocated right which is would never be known it will never be known it, 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 i think my 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 uh vantage point is more the giraffe in this situation and uh you um what you shared uh, i i think makes sense and uh it fits um but the beauty is that uh um I can still have my giraffe. <laughs>
Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Provided. Um, our last poem here is uh, There's a Solitude of Space. And, and you mentioned that uh, this one you, you also enjoyed. There is a solitude of space, a solitude of sea, a solitude of death, but these society shall be compared with that profounder sight, that polar privacy, a soul admitted to itself, finite infinity. I, uh, I initially struggled with that society shall be compared um, a shift in thought. Uh, I was I was carried with this this idea of um, solitude uh, and and how it feels for me uh, different from aloneness. Um, solitude seems like a, a wonderful place to be. It's something that you would wish for someone uh, that they can have uh, time with oneself, walking with oneself. And and there's a solitude uh, that we can find in space. You can imagine being at the beach and looking uh, along the horizon, a solitude of sea, a solitude of, of death, I guess, uh, a silencing of, of all uh, the existential angst that comes with uh, being human. Uh, society shall be compared with that uh, profounder sight, that polar privacy. So uh, for me, it was like I, the shift is this idea of um, the outward world uh, and navigating that and uh, then the inner world uh, that nobody uh, gets admittance to but oneself gets admitted to and so a soul admitted to itself finite infinity that that ultimate place of solitude so for me uh, in in my bold um, statement it would, would be that this is a a, a poem about um, self-acceptance right yeah yeah I, I i was thinking the word solace I, I, as you were kind of describing that and and you know like like you said you know there's something desirable about solitude and then you know if, if i kind of refer to the title of this podcast it's so antitude for aloneness you know difference between aloneness solitude which one is preferred and, and then you know finding that solace of of being comfortable in that in that pull of privacy and, and the hinge of, of the whole poem of you know a soul admitted to itself that that's 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 the beauty of it and, and that the soul is both finite and infinite I guess finite infinity of the the last line. I find that uh, I, I wrote somewhere just as I was making notes uh, that uh, poetry is like a map of one's being, and it feels like that even though you know vantage point number three, uh, a poem's relatability is is the place that uh, I kind of resonate most, uh, the place I stand most. That. Uh, this really is an opportunity for us to to learn a lot um, about uh, Emily. That uh, these these different entries, uh, perhaps in uh, the poetry of her journal of being, is uh, an opportunity for us to get a, a sense of you know who this person was, 
the you know the, the joys and, and and the struggles and then that in itself is something that we can just relate to but it, it, there are points when it seems like one poem spills over into another poem you know that i'm nobody who are you it's spilling over into uh, this poem uh, you know about a solitude of space and uh i i i really find that you know this would be a great way, you know, if we're going to kind of think about what are the value, what, what's the value of uh, bringing poetry into one's life, um, is that it would possibly allow oneself to start to map out one's inner world, one's inner being. It allows us to uh, to connect with one another. It allows us to express ourselves. Um, so would you agree, do you think like poetry is something we need more of in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, I, I've really like I, I've I've read Emily Dickinson poetry, and I've committed to, as you know, I've committed to to memory. But I, I you know, I've I've never done as depth look into it as we've done in the last three months, or not three months, three weeks or so. And and it, and it's I find it really enriching, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's and I think you've hinted at it as well. It, it's it's a nice diversion, right, from mm-hmm. uh, what what we are kind of at times compelled to follow along, whether it's the news or or whatever. It, it's it's an escape, and, and it's and it's not only a, a potential for an escape into the poetry itself, but into looking at someone else's life and, and trying to understand what their life was like. And, and by doing that, we could read her poetry and we could add more richness to our own life. And, and just kind of one, you know, comment to, to the listener. I mean, I mean, certainly Emily Dickinson is not everyone's bag kind of thing. And, and, and it may be this explore, exploration, you know, uh, might not be the right fit for the listener, and you know it, it doesn't resonate as it has with us. But but maybe what can speak to the listener is is our shared enthusiasm for it. And there are a thousand other poets out there to explore. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I was thinking about that in terms of like a, a lot of the different uh, episodes that I put together. You know, usually, I guess, you know, the formula is uh, me in a kind of blithering, unpolished way, um, sharing a thought and then linking, uh, hopefully, a free resource that people can tap into. Um, as I was uh, thinking about putting this one together, I th- I was thinking in the final analysis, <laughs> you know, I guess this is a book that's been written for me and you. <laughs> I I there, There's a part of me, I genuinely think that this is definitely not going to be my most popular episode um and and my hope is that you know if if someone is been thinking about a possible relationship uh with emily dickinson that poetry is includes uh, so many um different kinds of expression and so you've got prose as well uh some people i think would uh, would suggest and, and i would i i would agree that um rap uh and 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 music uh the lyrics that uh, you know you find uh, 
embedded in, in musical creation that this is uh, poetry too. Uh, it's you know it's an artistic outpouring of the soul, and I just I feel like we need these things in our lives. And it's kind of like that, uh, my letter to the world is, you know, I was suggesting like, well, what's the news, Emily? What's the message? Uh, and it's kind of like, you'll discover that uh, in an experiential way that, you know, once you go for a walk in the woods, you'll know what the news is. And so if you can find that right uh, poet, if you can find that right kind of medium of expression, uh, you're going to be enriched. And and for most, I, I'm, 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 sensing and believing it's not going to be emily dickinson but uh, this has been just a wonderful ride that the two of us have been sharing with one another and i i just wanted to uh, very much do this it's it's been a great joy and and my hope is that in my uh, resources that i share uh there's going to be poetry.org uh, poetry.foundation and all poetry uh, these are different uh, ways that you can explore poetry i'm also going to include um, some references to uh, Canadian poets, uh, because I think uh, they're extremely talented. And, uh, you know, as, as, as Canadians, uh, we should explore what the, the poetic landscape looks like in terms of uh, that um, expression. So that that's my goal is to, it, you know, at some point, I, I think uh, I would even like to uh, enter a poetry contest <laughs> just just for the experience of it. Sure. Um, so it's it's been a wonderful kind of deep dive. Uh, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share in terms of um, Emily Dickinson, poetry in general, uh, the tools, um, vantage points, or any kind of closing thoughts? Yeah, I guess maybe just kind of cycle back to to how you kind of open things up and, you know, the idea of, you know, what is, what is the poet's intention and, and what is our response, right? And the idea that we don't need to ascribe to one exclusively kind of thing and, and that it, it could be anything. And, and, and um, you know, it, it's just about, as you suggest in the title, uh, an antidote for aloneness or, or an antidote for an escape or an antidote for something different. And uh, that doesn't really make sense, but uh, but the the idea of you know there are other options uh, other than Netflix, Crave, and social media, for example, mm -hmm. that uh, that are uh, could you argue argue are more edifying? You could argue that, or you know maybe uh, Netflix is edifying enough, but uh, I'll, I'll just say one last time that, that I've certainly enjoyed this journey and I hope that, uh, you know, we're able to encourage other people to have their own journey into poetry. Yeah, and, and the, the proof will be in the pudding. Um, so I'm going to end uh, with my attempt at uh, a poem about poetry and uh, then I'll... Uh, Thank everyone for joining us and, and encourage perhaps people to figure out how you might bring poetry more into your own lives. So my poem for poetry, loud, quiet murmurs from the heart that jolts the spirit anew, reciting to commune 
listening to see, stirring outpourings, revealing me. So thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Peace, take care, be well, and share. And uh, I, I'm still, we're still live, but that's where I'll edit it there. Um, right. How did that feel? Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, Thanks. Enjoyed, did you I enjoy did. that? For yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I, I think we're going to be the only two uh, listeners for that one.